When Rebecca was nine, she thought there were a few things she could improve about herself. So she wrote them down. This is a list, ways to improve me. One, don't shout as much. Two, do good deeds. Three, don't get carried away with the good deeds. That's Rebecca with some good advice about moderation. I'm Dan Meisner, and this... This is it. You're here. I am here. We are all here together. Toronto, this is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote As Kids. It's nice to see you. How are you doing? This is a show where we go back in time to remember the good, the bad, and the awkward parts of growing up. This time, recorded live in Toronto, we have The Cruelty of Nursery Rhymes, teenage poetry about loneliness, and a naked guy who jumps out of the forest. This stuff is weird, it is wonderful, and some of it, like Rebecca's reading, is full of good advice, no matter how old you are. So think about who you were when you were a kid, and stick around. One of the things I love about kid writing is how honest it can be. Often, this stuff is the raw, unvarnished truth about how we felt at the time. When Leslie was 12, she had her first boyfriend, a guy named Chris. And at our Toronto show, she read a few journal entries all about the ups and downs of their relationship. Now, a quick heads up, Leslie uses a cuss word in her journal, which we do not bleep. There's your heads up. Here's Leslie. Dear Journal, life is hard. I have liked a boy since grade one, no joke. And when he told me he liked me too, it was the happiest day of my life. When he came over one day, we kissed. When he came over, I always enjoyed it because we would always kiss. (laughs) But I knew he still liked a different girl. Maybe that is why he dumped me. (laughs) My heart broke the day he dumped me. Things have not been going so well. My brother was in a car crash, and my only friend Jojo is mad at me. I keep hoping Chris will forget about it and be my boyfriend again, because I really do like him, and I wish he was not mad at me. But I know the girl he likes has known him longer. Dear God, please help me through this tough time and help Chris and I become friends again. I love you, God, and Jesus, and Mary. (laughs) Amen, your friend Leslie. (laughs) Dear Journal, sometimes I can't sleep. I stay awake thinking about Chris and the French kisses we shared together. (laughs) And how I still love him with all my heart. And the days that I do fall asleep, I dream about him being my friend again. If only he knew how much I loved him. I wish I had talked to him more and not hung out with the girly girls as much. Oh, how I long to feel my lips against his just one more time. If I had three wishes, they would be, one, get a dog. (laughs) Two, dad to come back home. Three, get married to Chris when we grow up. I swear if I ever had another chance to go out with Chris, I would not think twice. I would treat him as a prince. I really don't care what anyone else says. Love, Leslie. (laughs) 
Monday, October 25th, 04. Chris is a fucker. I hate his guts. Signed, Leslie Cussin. Thank you. Um, a month after returning to school, Chris started dating my then best friend. So I started to hate Chris. <laughs> I think if I could go back and talk to young Leslie, I wouldn't do too much talking. Rather, I would listen. Back then, I wasn't in love with Chris, and I think deep down, I knew that. I was mainly missing my friend, since Chris had also been my friend since grade one. Someone telling me not to sweat the small stuff and that everything would be okay wouldn't have been very helpful. I really just needed someone to talk to because I didn't have anyone who I felt like I could talk to back then. I still worry over the small stuff too often, but otherwise uh, it's odd reading over those journals now. The person I was back then and the person I am today are two very different people. Poetry is always popular at Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids, especially angsty teenage poetry. And our next reader brought exactly that. Brent is going to read a couple of short poems that he wrote in high school. And he says these are, generally speaking, about loneliness. Please welcome to our stage, Brent. I'm different when I'm alone. All of my few friends I had left school last year. It's grade nine again. I eat a lonely lunch, trying to look for familiar faces. Occasionally, I will play cards with people that I know only by their name. (laughs) If you see me smile, it's because I'm either thinking of my girlfriend or laughing so that I can remind myself that I can laugh. I'm not depressed, I'm not lonely, it's just that it's different when I'm alone. Classes are different, thoughts are different, I'm different. I'm not shy or scared, I don't care what people think of me, because I know that they don't really know who I am. I'm not one to lead or to follow, I'm both. I lead myself and follow myself, I don't conform. (laughs) If when I wade in a lake and someone wants to join me, I'd get out of the water. It wouldn't have been the same. Some things can only be done alone. In public, I'm close to what I'm like, except nothing personal escapes from me. Oh, I could tell you how I got the scar on my hand, but I wouldn't tell you how it felt. (laughs) Only on rare occasions am I my real self. When I'm alone, I sway and dance to music. The few people that see me really dance say I'm amazing. I couldn't care less. When I'm alone, I sing aloud. I don't care if my voice is good. I might hum in front of people. I could join into hundreds of conversations, but I would rather listen. 
I don't mind being alone. I can think. I can do what I want. I never feel lonely. Unlike some people who I've known for a long time, they can't spend five minutes alone with their thoughts. I read Robert's service poems at night in the dark when no one can see me participating. <laughs> I play soccer because I want to run and be free, not to score a goal, although that is okay too. <laughs> if I was to know someone long enough or felt comfortable with them, I let myself go. If I can trust people and know people, I reform my seemingly lonely ways. I'll never be any kind of socialite because I, I like the time when I'm alone, but I may open myself up and let you touch my soul if you give me time. <laughs> Only one person has really accomplished that. It's my girlfriend. I love her and trust her completely. I would wade in water with her. And if you wait and give me a chance and some time, you can wait in too. <laughs> the fact that I'm writing this poem dedicated to you shows that you're unlacing your shoes to step into the water. And if I actually read this, your shoes are off. <laughs> if time proves true, we'll wade alone together. I'm different when I'm alone, not lonely, just different. Our next reader, Nikki, shared a speech that she wrote and delivered to her class in grade five. And the thing you need to know about Nikki's speech is that she wrote it around the time she'd read Animal Farm by George Orwell. But, she says, she kind of missed the point of that book. Nikki's speech was all about animal rights. But as you'll hear, she chose a slightly unusual angle on that topic. Please welcome to our stage, Nikki. Old Mother Goose, when she wanted to wander, she'd ride through the air on a very fine gander. <laughs> We've all grown up with them and still remember them. Yep, you've probably guessed it. Nursery rhymes. Miss Liebel and fellow classmates, when we were little, we found them amusing, but never actually thought of them as being cruel. <laughs> Cruelty to animals in nursery rhymes. <laughs> Something we've all managed to overlook. Well, finally, someone's noticed it. Me. The people who wrote these rhymes assume that no matter how ridiculous they make the animals look or how cold-hearted they are, their poems will become famous. Okay, so they did. <laughs> but they shouldn't have been able to. Take Sing a Song of Sixpence, for example. 24 blackbirds baked into a pie. It is an outrage. <laughs> Who eats blackbirds anyway? It's practically against the law. The birds, which were baked... <laughs> were mothers or fathers. 
They had families and lives to lead. Well, now we know why some animals are extinct. <laughs> but that's only one of the painfully cruel subjects in these rhymes. Old Mother Hubbard is another. Her dog, her dog got no bone. <laughs> because Mother Hubbard was poor. Well, welcome to the 90s, lady. And that's not all. Now the rhymes get ugly. And when I say ugly, I mean violent. The farmer's wife cut off the three blind mice's tails with a carving knife. The poem said absolutely nothing about the mice receiving medical attention <laughs> after their tails were cut off. <laughs> and even before the mice's tails were cut off, if the mice were blind, they should have been given laser treatment. <laughs> Nursery rhymes have been going from about the 1800s till now, 1997. Many of them were written by anonymous people who just didn't want to give their names. <laughs> That's how much research I did. Uh, but most of the poems we know were, in my view, and are considered cruel. Humpty Dumpty, Little Bo Peep, Little Miss Muffet, Three Blind Mice, Old Mother Hubbard, and many, many more were written by Iona and Peter Opie of Great Britain. I wonder if they had any pets. <laughs> The most violent one of all I've saved for last, and it is called Ding Dong Bell, also written by Iona and Peter Opie. And it goes like this. Ding Dong Bell. Pussies in the well. Who put her in? Little Johnny Green. Who pulled her out? Little Tommy Stout. But what state was pussy in <laughs> when Tommy Stout pulled her out? Probably dead. Everyone knows cats don't survive being put in wells. How many well survivor cats do you know? The answer is none. In conclusion, next time, think more about the way nursery rhymes affect your ideas about animals. You can't believe everything you read, unless you want to be a cruel and bloodthirsty adult. I have been vegetarian for 16 days. All thanks to Nursery Rhymes. Thank you. I checked with Nikki after the show, and yes, she remained a vegetarian for years, well into her 20s. Sometimes our kid writing foreshadows who we'll become. When Scott was seven, he took his very first trip in an airplane. His parents had just split up, so he was going to Calgary to spend a month with his dad, who had moved there. Now, here's where the foreshadowing comes in. Later in life, Scott grew up to become a chartered accountant. So see if you can pick up on his appreciation in this journal entry. <laughs> For numbers and details, please welcome to our stage, Scott. Yeah. 
So uh, my parents had split up two years before, and then a year before, my dad had moved out west. All about my trip to Calgary. Today, I am going to Calgary. I am going on an airplane. It is an Air Canada plane. I saw a black cloud. I saw a black line in the air, too. There are lots of white clouds. <laughs> we were beside the wing. We were 35,000 feet off the ground. On the wing, it said CF-TJU. My dad gave me and my sister two comics each. I got two superhero comics, and my sister got a two Walt Disney comics. One was about Daffy Duck, and the other was about Donald Duck. My sister's comics were both 30 cents each, <laughs> and mine were 35 cents each. I liked my lunch. I had three pieces of meat. I liked reading my comics. First, I sat beside the window. Now my sister is. I am wearing my cougars. I have brown cougars. Uh, we were in the smoking area. I wanted to go in the non-smoking area. Some smoke got in my eyes. <laughs> now I am in my dad's apartment. It looked kind of funny when I looked out of the window. He lives on the 40th floor. There are 41 floors in his apartment. He lives in penthouse one. The number of the room he lives in is 4001. <laughs> As soon as I got to my dad's apartment, I had some grape juice. <laughs> Today, I had to brush my teeth twice, because right after supper, I brushed my teeth, and in a little while, I had some jello, so I brushed my teeth again. <laughs> Me and my sister got postcards to send to our aunt and our mummy and our grandma and grandpa. I got all my postcards written before my sister even started hers. <laughs> She needed someone to help her write her stuff because she is only five years old. Tomorrow, I am going camping. We did a lot of shopping for going on our camping trip. On the way to the shopping center, I saw two planes at the planetarium. I saw something else, but I forget what it was. <laughs> on the next page, there are two pictures that I cut out of the Calgary Herald. And uh, this one here is captioned, this picture is from the Calgary Herald. <laughs> and this one is captioned, this picture was from the Calgary Herald, like the other one. Scott, ladies and gentlemen. When Chris was 15, she watched a TV movie called Red Shoe Diaries. And if you don't remember Red Shoe Diaries, don't worry, I didn't either. All you really need to know is that this was a TV movie in the mid-90s starring David Duchovny, and it is squarely in the late-night erotic drama category. Like I said, when Chris was 15, she watched Red Shoe Diaries, and then she wrote about it in her diary. Quick heads up, Chris uses a few cuss words, which we do not bleep. Live on stage in Toronto, here's Chris. All right, so this entry was written November 3rd, 1996, and I even put the time. It was 1.43 a.m. Tonight, on television, I saw a movie called Red Shoe Diaries. It was released four years ago. I remember hearing about it, but it never interested me. I watched it tonight because nothing else was on. 
It was very powerful. The man who played the character, Tom Butler Jr., was very good, very convincing. <laughs> David Duchovny was excellent. The story was fabulous. I cried so hard. <laughs> I'm not going to urge you to see it. Don't see it because you're curious. Humans are too curious. Don't see it because I liked it. Get an opinion of your own. <laughs> I don't care for what your reasons would be. You probably shouldn't see it unless you're sexually mature. <laughs> I've changed since I first bought this journal. I was a stupid, naive little girl. I was only 12 years old. Now, I may not be an adult, but I know a shitload more. Now, I'm a 15-year-old brat. I no longer giggle and act stupid around guys. I no longer dream of fame and fortune. I now know life is not a shopping spree. <laughs> Reality used to be a friend of mine. <laughs> but that reality wasn't ever a true reality. I dreamt of Cats, Scott Glass, and the supermodel in teen magazine I thought I'd become. Now all of that means shit to me. Popularity is no longer a constant. And, and I'm not just saying this because I saw this wicked movie. I finally realized what the meaning of life is. Our purpose is to act rejected as kids, then grow up, see how stupid we were, learn from our past geekness, and act cool. But that's only the homo sapien purpose. <laughs> only human arrogance suggests that humans are the only ones with purpose. The dolphins and whales and porpoises and seals must have a purpose also. They'll probably take over the earth in 3,000 years, annihilating mankind violently and feeding off our bone marrow, or whatever. <laughs> I'm just talking bullshit. I still like Michael Jackson, but my obsession with him was bullshit too. There was a time when I would have died for him, but he's not worth it, I know that now. He's stuck in a fantasy land. He's a good musician and entertainer, but he's just so weird. His music is becoming weird too. Did I ever mention that he and Lisa Marie got divorced? Whoop-dee-doo. I really don't care anymore about anything except my education and my stories. I still love writing stories. I'm writing one right now. I haven't decided on a title. Perhaps, Dive into the Ocean. <laughs> or, Tears on my Pillow. <laughs> or, Crying in my Sleep. <laughs> or, Ocean of Remembrance. <laughs> or, I couldn't think of a title, so this is it. Why don't I just shut up right now? Have you ever had Cadbury fingers? Not real fingers, exclamation point. They're cookie sticks covered with milk chocolate. They taste like heaven. If heaven was something tangible and you could eat it, if there is a heaven, but I don't know what heaven tastes like, so I can't compare Cadbury fingers to a place that probably doesn't exist. <sighs> Religion was created by dim-witted Neanderthals who couldn't accept the fact that they didn't know why they were created. Humans used to be chimps. Accept it. <laughs> Thank you, Darwin. I'm just rambling, trying to make you answer some of life's really tough questions. Well, that's a load of shit. I'm sure one of life's really tough questions is, what caused Michael and Lisa Marie to break up? <laughs>
When Sarah was in grade eight, she kept a journal. And at our Toronto show, she brought along a few excerpts. When I asked Sarah what these were about, she said, boys, please welcome Sarah to our stage. A quick heads up, Sarah uses a few cuss words in her journal, which we do not bleep. And on stage, Sarah wasted no time getting right to the very first cuss word. I'm going to write the big bad F word in this diary. Here I go. Fuck. Gosh, I'm cool. In brackets. And bad. I guess that's a crazy wicked combination. February 14th, 1998. Heidi-dighty-doody, y'all. Oh, golly. I had a lovely Valentine's Day today. Ooh, all them boys chasing me, begging me to read their special Valentines they made just for me. You know, it's hard being me. I mean, dealing with all those hunks and all. (laughs) Dot, dot, dot. Is what I'd write if my name was Ahmedabed. But it isn't. So I'm still a non-BF girl. I don't mind so much anymore. It would just be nice. Hee hee. I'm probably drunk off of all these cinnamon hearts. (laughs) Well, two more days till grade eight grad. I'm getting a manicure tomorrow. How cool is that? Oh yeah, speaking of manicures, today in class, I was talking about pedicures and cutie Jordan says, isn't that for dogs? I laughed. He got confused with pedigree. (laughs) Guess what? (laughs) This is totally off topic. But a few days ago, this woman was walking her dog close to where I live. Then, out of the blue, this naked guy jumps out of the forest and starts chasing her. She got away and called the cops. The weird thing is that the naked guy escaped. Also, this other time, brackets, last night. My judo teacher was jogging, and right by my driveway, a guy gets out of a van asking for directions. You're probably thinking, oh, that's weird. But listen to this. All he was wearing was a t-shirt and a neon green thong. Ah! (laughs) She called the cops, too. (laughs) What's with all these freaky nudists around my house? (laughs) There also used to be a flasher behind my house, too, by the Cherry Street Pond. All these men are old and hairy, too. Nasty. (laughs) And then I have a drawing of a penis-elephant hybrid (laughs) called a (laughs) penifant. A thought on boys. Boys, I think that they have a physical dysfunction. Lack of emotions, estrogens, weird bodily chemicals. I don't know, but what I do know is that they are connected in all the wrong places. God must have fixed all those mistakes when he made girls. (laughs) I think that they have only a brain for two reasons. One, to learn. And two, to say, ooh, I like that. I want it in my pants. (laughs) Girls are hot shit that I can fuck around with. I have a penis. I can do anything I want. See, the missing link in a boy is from the brain to the heart. Love, what is this concept? Oh, buddy, I have a weird feeling in my chest. Dude, that's just like an emotion. What's that? A feeling or something. Like, when you like something a lot. Oh, I like Nintendo. Is that an emotion, buddy? (laughs) 
dude, you're getting it. Let's go play. Okay. So they have a vague idea, but not enough. I'm forgetting that the penis isn't connected to emotions, only to the that's cool, ooh, boobies segment of the brain. (laughs) Then I have some drawings of the male anatomy where it has the heart, the brain, and then the badass man tool. And then it ends. When I get rich and brilliant, I'll invent a cure for those physical abnormalities. I need a new color pen, I'm sick of red. Thank you. Sarah, ladies and gentlemen, with what can only be described as a fairly accurate portrayal of the mind of a grade 8 boy. That is Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Our show was recorded live at the Transac in Toronto and produced by Jenna Meisner. Our music is by Poddington Bear and Lullatone. Olivia Nashmi is our intern. Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids is an independent production supported by listeners like you. If you like this show and you want to help us continue to make it, visit grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com and click support the show. Our website is also where you can join our email newsletter. That's the first place we announce upcoming live events. One more time, that's grownupsreadthingstheywroteaskids.com or even easier, follow the link in the show notes on your device right now. I'm Dan Meisner. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.